The Canby Report was produced and recorded on the traditional territories of the Quiquitlam, Mississaugas of the Credit, Anishinaabek, Chippewa, Haudenosaunee, and Wendat peoples. February 8th, 2023, and there are 982 days left until the Vancouver Municipal Elections. This is the Camby Report. I'm Matthew Naylor. And I'm Ian Bushfield. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Uh, we are under a thousand, less than a thousand days to go until Election Day again. And well, I acknowledge that uh, government is very much about governing and not about just who's running. Um, man, the last year and a half has gone fast. The last five years have gone fast, as we were talking about before the show. I just registered my older child for kindergarten, which I still have babies, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this is a child who, to be clear, was not born when we started this podcast. The podcast is older than your child. And then my brain kind of, like, glitched out for a second. And I thought, I'm, I will, that can't be. What? Anyway, we do this podcast, apparently, for so long, with your help. And in order to continue doing that podcast, we need your continued support uh, through our Patreon page. Many of you have been uh, very generous over the years. And we appreciate it. And if you have a couple of dollars to spare in any given month, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash report. Yes, patreon.com slash report. As we'll get into today, we've been doing some research behind the scene, digging into the decisions behind and the documents or lack thereof behind the scenes. And I've spent way too long on the phone with the city of Surrey explaining an onerous FOI that I filed only to get documents that had already been released to other people back. <laughs> but I feel like I did accomplish something in making sure that staff there understand that people are watching. Uh, to support that and justify all our time, patreon.com slash report. Speaking of FOIs, the park board... Yes. As we know, Ken Sim announced on December 6th that he wants to abolish the park board. He wants to absorb those f powers and functions into city council. He announced his plan. It was subsequently easily passed by uh, his majority on council and is now before the province to negotiate a response. I asked the city of Vancouver and the Ministry of Municipal Affairs for all of the briefing notes that had been prepared in either office for the minister or for the mayor or the mayor's chief of staff from the time Ken Sim was inaugurated on November 7th, 2022, until December 6th, 2023, when he had made the announcement. The ministry actually came back to me before the due date for this. I was very impressed. They were like two weeks early. It's unheard wow. of in FOI land to actually get something early, it feels like. And probably because there was only one document that the province <laughs> had prepared in over a year on the park board and it came two days after the park board announcement from Ken Sim 
just to say, hey, he made this announcement, he wants to abolish the park board, here's some considerations, Mr. Premier, about what we might need to do. Big chunks of it are redacted relating to the legal process of it. I don't, I'm not bothered by that. I was more just curious what exists. Uh, It notes it's going to be complicated, is the short of it, which is fair. Well, that's understandable. I mean, the the province isn't the one who's initiating this process. The province isn't the one who passed the motion to start this conversation. Obviously, the city will have done a much more thorough and considered job in preparing this major policy change in how Vancouver is governed, right? The response I received was that there are no records. What? In response to your search. So there was nothing prepared for the mayor or the mayor's chief of staff. Now, my search was limited to briefing documents. And so there may have been internal correspondence. There may have been stuff prepared for people other than the mayor or the mayor's chief of staff. But I will note that the December 6th announcement came out on City of Vancouver letterhead. Oh. So someone wrote something. Yeah. That's fascinating. How curious. I wasn't aware that that was how running the city worked. You know, like I get staff not doing work on an issue before council has given them direction to do work on the issue. That's somewhat okay and reasonable, but it does suggest to me this plan did come out of nowhere. That's the vibe I get from these two responses. I was partially motivated to do this because I saw in a Dan Fomano interview at the time that Ken Sim had told him that the province is not going to be surprised by the announcement he made. I'm sure he at some point might have mentioned it in a phone call or in an email, but it seems like it was not taken seriously by the ministry, at least, if they were not prepping any like considerations on what to do here. So, Yeah, that is unusual. Um, it's not how I would have done it. <laughs> I'll have to say that. Like the speculation uh, at the time was it was a petty, spiteful move to cut off the people who were undermining him at Park Board, and they subsequently split, and now he does not have a majority on Park Board, so all of the evidence is still adding up to that. Well, I guess time will never know, because there are no records of all, any kind. Speaking of that doubling down, Ken Sim is indeed saying that he is committed to abolishing the park board, he gave his annual State of the City address, and he is adamant that these plans remain on track. Meanwhile, the province's response to it is that it's not a priority for the provincial government, and they're pretty sure nobody else cares. So the thing that I I kind of find most objectionable in this is that Ken Sim is just trying to, like, memory hole the fact that he abandoned his promise to get rid of the park board saying during the last election we stated many times if we were going to try and fix the elected park board and if it wasn't fixable we would go to the province and make a change that's not what happened like that's not how this this went down and i just wanted to call that out as being total bullshit that is like it's not actually It doesn't matter as a lie, but it is a lie, and it annoys me. Yeah, it's rewriting the historical record to fit the facts he wants to do now. And we see politicians do this all the time when... And it's 
it's frustrating and it undermines trust in institutions when you so obviously lie to people. Like, I know this sort of like flip-flop back and forth on whether or not this piece of the government should exist is like maybe not something that he feels he can sustain politically, but like, I kind of feel like if you want to go through with it, you have to. And instead, you just look like a bit of a buffoon. Speaking of buffoons, over at Park Board, Green Commissioner Tom Digby has said he is going to fight tooth and nail to keep the elected Park Board, which, I mean, I respect that. Uh, so he put forward a motion to pursue all legal options available to the board to fight the city on this, and they have given lawyers $20,000 to figure out what they can do to stop the city. Matthew, what can they do to stop the city? Well, nothing, because the city can't do anything. That's that's the biggest issue. It's like, stop the city from doing what? Le writing the letter that they wrote? The city can't amend the Vancouver Charter. Uh, the city, like, isn't able to get rid of this on their own. They need the province to come do it. And so having you know, a bunch of people in a room, right? Like, politicians write letters. That's what they do. They talk to each other, they write letters. No politician can do anything. It's why we don't live in, you know, an absolutist monarchy. That's a good thing for the most part, I think. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder. But it's... <laughs> I don't know that this needed to cost $20,000. That seems wild. That's they, they've so only... To be clear, they've only put up 20000 as a amount that could be spent. The oh. ABC commissioners, Jazz Hurdy, Angela Hare, and Mary Claire Howard opposed this request, arguing it's a waste of money, and if it does go to litigation, could cost hundreds of thousands. Hare asked Digby where the money's going to come from. Uh, he says, I'm expecting the mayor will, in his good sense, withdraw the motion, uh, and then we're all good. Hare said it's wishful thinking. Digby argues the 20000 is going to come from the manager's budget, and they probably won't have to spend all of it. Quote, you can often bring an application for $2,500 at BC Supreme Court. So, I mean, you could simply get your advice and go for it. Digby is an intellectual property lawyer. So what is happening here? I mean, so he should know better? What? What? Like, what? Anyway, I'm sure it's going to make some uh, BCU municipal lawyer a hefty chunk of change for not a ton of work. Uh, so I guess congratulations to that person. I was going to say, you just gave them free, not not legal advice. No, <laughs> now, definitely wasn't Political that. analysis. Because I do not work for free. I will, however, for $20,000, I'll do it. Call me, Park Board. Uh... Uh, one of the challenges for Ken Sim's plan, in addition to, I don't know, Don Quixote quests to stop them legally, is the... Indigenous nations that the province have said have to be on board with this because they weren't at the announcement and have since... There's been questions about what the support is. The Musqueam Nation came out and signed a form letter that Ken Sim had prepared saying that they support this move. The Tsleil-Waututh Nation now, according to City News, is in support of the motion. They quote... They don't quote, but they paraphrase Chief Jem Thomas of the nation, saying they formally support the plan, but the quote they have is, 
we just want to be involved in the amendment with the charter, with the province and the city. We want to be able to have that government to government relationship on this and that that has been happening. So that sounds less like support and more like a tepid endorsement of a process that involves them. And the Squamish nation has not endorsed even the process yet. Yeah, um, which honestly, like, and, and this is this is comment, commenting a little, like, more broadly on the, the strategy of the three nations. It, it's kind of brilliant having the three nations being able to work together and both be inside, outside, and in the middle on the process. And the, the issue is incredible. And it allows for real engagement in the use of lands that are historically theirs. That story is obviously not done, so we'll continue to follow it. Maybe I'll file more FOIs on that. We'll see. I have lots to do. What else is happening in the mayor's office, Matthew? Well, it's difficult to say because the mayor's budget task force report came out. You can see this uh, document online at the links in our show notes. Yeah, it's it's so it's it's looking for ROI, which you know normally means return on investment. But uh, the the front page of or the second page of this says refocus Vancouver's role, operate with excellence, invest for the future. And uh, given that stunning collection of buzzwords, uh, the tone was indeed set. And it continues in, in such a way as to, like, not say anything at all for all 36 pages, basically. Yeah, to set the stage for this and to go back, when Ken Sim was first elected, he promised this budget task force, this blue ribbon panel, would bring forward solutions to the fiscal woes plaguing the city the you know double digit property tax increases they were facing the infrastructure deficit and all the challenges and they would find efficiencies and bring that forward before the budget that was passed last fall and then we could go forward from there and the city would be on fine fiscal footing that was then delayed a few times so we went sh- and there was po- it was pointed out during the fall's budget debates shouldn't we have this budget task force report before we debate the budget? And it was kind of like, no, 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 we'll, we'll come back to it. And it turns out it wouldn't have mattered because there's no specific anything in here that allows one to do what they were asked to do in my plain reading of it. So in, in my very light reading of this thing, like I, I honestly had to tap out because this thing feels like it was written f- by an AI. I don't know what this money was spent on. I don't know why we did this. It seems really pointless. And like, aside from the fact that ABC did take the the initiative to like actually increase the taxes when I like full on did not expect them to do so, which like all other things aside, that is a feather in their cap. Gotta pay for the cops somehow. Yeah, fair enough. This is, like, garbage. Matthew, what do you mean? They want to use empirical evidence to ensure equity and modernize the funding model. Oh, right. Sorry, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm That gives me clear direction and a purpose. 
Like, there's a point where they point out that absentee rates seem to be higher among municipal staff than other industries. And so maybe there's some efficiencies or savings that could be had there if they could get staff absentee rates down, which like maybe, maybe that's just pointing out that other industries are forcing people to come in when they're sick because they don't have as strong a unions. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it. It also points out that Vancouver's kind of unique in terms of how autonomous it is in terms of its funding. A lot of other Canadian cities get a far larger chunk of their budget from senior levels of government. And so there is an argument that they make in the report about Vancouver needs to, I mean, it's a standard revenue thing for municipalities, beg for more money. Oh, should we write another letter? Should write another letter. Great. Fantastic. Well, now that they've gotten so good at it from the last time, they, of course, uh, don't have to rely only on begging for more money as new sources of revenue. Uh, Mayor Sim wishes to sell naming rights around the city for $100 million. It's sitting on the table. Uh, He just needs to open up the ability for wealthy people and organizations to buy the naming rights of city buildings, parks, and other city-owned assets. How you get this amount, which Board of Trade CEO Bridget Anderson, who also co-wrote the task force report, she estimated 50 to 100 million based on a guesstimate. 50 to 100 million? Only a 100% difference between the... Okay. There's 200 parks, there's city-owned buildings... Uh, whatever the number is, it'll be significant. And there's just a lot of rich people who want to throw money at the city and put their names on things. Huh. I think in Slack, someone pointed out the like cost to buy BC Place naming rights, or was it the Rogers Arena? And that's probably one of the like signature naming rights in the city. Mm-hmm. And working down from that, we're looking at maybe there's a couple million they could make. There's definitely not a hundred million. Unless we're getting, like, really creative and renaming streets and stuff. But no one's paying a million dollars to buy a street. Unless it's Broadway, I guess, but... Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, um... Pattison Broadway. Pattison Pattison Broadway, all right. Um, (laughs) Rhymer Transportation Boundary Road. Speaking of putting brands on city buildings, the Rolling Stones logo, which we covered uh, last time, that has apparently been okayed by the integrity commissioner of the city. Yeah, so the specific issue here was a few citizens complained to the integrity commissioner that Mayor Ken Sims' appearance in the video showcasing that logo, as well as two other ABC councillors, violated the city's integrity rules. And the integrity commissioner went through the rules and went, there's nothing in, like, they didn't personally benefit from this. Mm. Because they weren't personally paid... The money spent to this by the promoter uh, went to the city, uh, and we learned that was five hundred dollars to put the logo <laughs> on the building. They did pay all their own costs for all their equipment and stuff, but they paid the city a five hundred dollar fee to project onto city hall. And the report says that easily covers the administrative time that took to permit this. So it seems like it was a net amount for a net gain for the city even if it was not a very large amount 
Yeah, and like, you know, the city doesn't have to extend this to everyone and like mayors can have pet projects, but like it does, the vibe that I'm getting from ABC is twofold. One, a, a general feeling that we've elected like fifth graders to the city hall, like just sort of a, a general pettiness, a... a immaturity and like oh wouldn't it be awesome if you know kind of vibe and and two some light dumb corruption and then of course three and i have to keep harping on about this because this of course threatens the future of democracy in canada uh, the regulatory capture of cities by police departments yeah like i think the rolling stones projection likely violated the city's own naming rights policies as they exist right now but the authority to enforce that i believe is probably just council like if a city violates its own bylaws who has standing to complain about that in a situation like this like there's very little damage like it's hard to see how this actually caused damages in some way the most I could say is maybe take this to the ombudsperson if you make the same offer. Like, if we, as the Canby Report, go to the city and say, hey, we're actually, like, even more relevant to the city than the one-day Rolling Stones concert. And, you know, that's entirely debatable, but (laughs) we at least live here. (laughs) 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 Um if we offered to like go with all the lighting equipment and, and put our logo on city hall, which would be funny because it would be a picture of city hall on city hall and, and we're turned down. Maybe we could make a complaint, but like, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. So good effort on those who filed the integrity complaints, but at least we got to learn exactly how much this cost or paid the city. And it's a hilariously low amount. Imagine, like, if we're selling logo rights for 500, that's a lot of logos we got to project on City Hall to get to $100 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's it's quite a bit of money. It's almost like this policy wasn't very thought out at all. Anyway, imagine what we could do if we could project something up on the North Shore Mountains, but we'd probably have to talk to Electoral Area A about that. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, ABC is returning some prohibited donations. This is the light, dumb corruption that I am mentioning earlier. Yes, we brought this story back when Team had alleged that ABC had accepted about $120,000 in prohibited donations during the campaign. BC has been updating its campaign finance laws for the past few elections, and they've gotten quite restrictive and that means there's a lot of learning and so there's the chance that people make mistakes and then there's also just the chance that they just try to go around the rules and we're not going to allege what happened here in terms of intent but what ABC is saying is that four formerly independent candidates merged their bank accounts with ABC in a way that broke the rules uh, and meant that donors who contributed to both were now double counted. And so they had to refund those prohibited donations, which accounts for $116,000. So almost as much as they had been alleged to have overtaken. Doesn't doesn't change anything in terms of the election. 
It they might not. still be slapped on the wrist by Elections BC. Like, this is the thing, is, like, if if they had to return the thing, so if they were capable of returning it, that's that's good. But, like, their win in that election was so crushingly large that it, it does make me wonder, like, we absolutely should enforce these laws. Don't don't get me wrong. But, like, I, I, I don't want to give the impression that I think this would have changed the outcome. Yeah, ABC had raised over $2 million, and the runner-up Kennedy's forward together with Kennedy Stewart or whatever it was called twirling th- twirling twirling into the had future. raised about one or one and a half so this wouldn't have brought their dollar amounts in alignment or into the same realm and I haven't looked at what they spent on but I don't think if Kennedy had a closer funding gap that his campaign of We'll put a SkyTrain to UBC and then back to Metrotown, even though we can't even get it to UBC, and we have no plan on how we'll do that, would have been any more inspiring. Yeah, he very much had the charisma of a bowl of unseasoned oatmeal. The police board is in the news again, and this time for an interesting reason. Faye Whiteman has suddenly resigned from the board. Now, the police board, to refresh everyone's memory, is a board that controls the administration of policing, allegedly, in uh, any given area where there is a police uh, force. The Vancouver Police Board is chaired by the mayor and largely is comprised, uh, or is entirely comprised, of provincial appointees that are appointed by the Ministry of Solicitor General. Yeah, so Whiteman was formerly the CEO of Vancouver Foundation. She had been appointed and had at least two years remaining on her term, but there was a letter that has not been released publicly, but has been shown to Global News from several sources. And this letter from her suggests that there were divisions on the board with some being more aligned with Ken Sim than others, and that allegedly Sim had been pressuring her to resign on multiple occasions, despite the fact that she didn't have to, and her replacement is going to be appointed by Mike Farnworth. So stuff is happening there without any clear information on how. Yeah, I'm fed up with this bullshit. I kind of would be too if I had been being asked by the chair of the organization to resign every single you know, time I showed up for work. She resigned saying Ken Sim had been, she explicitly said, exerting undue political pressure on members, including sending chief of staff into meetings, his chief of staff. And she was frustrated by the politics coming into the police board's operations. Yeah. Fifth graders, like dumb corruption, regulatory capture by police. Like, it's just ABC. Uh, (laughs) Like, in this, I kind of wonder if if Ken Sim has made a blunder in so much as he doesn't appoint this replacement. And, well, Mike Farnworth is not uh, certainly unfriendly to police forces around the province. He is also not um, someone who should be fucked around with. And I, I kind of wonder if... Kensit may have gotten more than he bargained for with this particular 
you know, if it, if, it, if it doesn't turn out to be a bit of a monkey's paw. Yeah, uh, Whiteman's also alleging that two unnamed board members are in conflict of interest in terms of their ability to oversee the police. And so things aren't going well there, and <laughs> the pressure being exerted is not great. There was a previous resignation from the board last year following the debates over whether to send police back into schools, and they had cancelled a report a discussion on that and that led to one of the members resigning and so really? there is a lot of reforms coming to the police boards i know the province is looking at that and has been working on that for a couple of years in the interim it's pretty clear that uh, it's not working and especially this requirement that the mayor who at city council approves the budget is then chairing these meetings but then also doesn't have a vote like this is one thing that Kennedy Stewart suffered from because he wanted to, I think, be more critical, but then was also uh, limited in his ability because of his role. And I could see the frustration in his comments, but then he also like it. It's I get it, but it's a mess. Yeah. Governing's hard, but you don't have to do it stupidly. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I don't have a segue for this one. Let's just jump to transit. Thankfully, the Canby Report will still be able to get around the region as we kind of do in our, our tableau uh, of <laughs> segues from time to time, because a bus strike has been averted. Mediator extraordinaire, i.e. the guy who does this thing for every strike, Vince Reddy, uh, has uh, made some recommendations between in the dispute between Coast Mountain Bus Company and the Transit Workers Union. Yeah, we don't know what the recommendations were. There was a standoff that led to two days of bus shutdown and sea bus shutdown in the region between Coast Mountain Bus Company and TransLink, uh, Coast Mountain Bus Company representing running the buses. Uh, so SkyTrains mm -hmm. were still running, as people remember. The union had been looking for what amounted to or is reported to a 25% pay rise. I can't tell what that's over. That's the claim of the bus company. So there's always complications when you're talking about pay rises because sometimes it ends up being over like four years, in which case 25% is not a huge increase over a longer period of time. Well, instead of Metro Vancouver going bus-free, a much smaller section of the region is going car-free. That's how you do a segue. There we go. <laughs> Gastown will be going car-free as a pilot project, which sees Water Street from Richard Street to Canby Street uh, become a pedestrian-only zone, and two interior blocks of Water Street from Canby through Abbott and Carroll Streets car light. This will just be for July and August. I honestly, I have driven through there because, yeah, when you take Powell in from East Vancouver through Railtown, it dumps you all the way onto Water Street just directly and suddenly you're driving over cobblestones with pedestrians everywhere and no one is happy but that's just how the routing has pushed you so i don't know exactly how they'll redirect people i don't actually care anything is better than how it is structured right now infrastructure matters this is infrastructure changes that will make some make life better for everyone because 
Gastown is a nice place to walk around and it's a terrible place to drive and being able to just enjoy it. Like most walk, you know, walkable places that don't have a lot of business access, I believe they're still setting aside a couple hours a day for trucks to deliver. Yes, and and like that that seems perfectly yeah. reasonable. Like the commercial businesses there like obviously are going to need some kind of delivery. I can't imagine this is going to be all done by like those bikes with the big trailers on them. But, you know, some might who knows. Staff are going to revisit the pilot project in the fall to figure out next steps. Hopefully it goes well. Yeah, looking forward to it. Maybe I'll go down to Gastown this summer and walk around. And finally, let's go to the District of North Van, who spent an obscene amount of time on a building with 60 studio apartments and five complex care units. They spent five meetings with 120 people expressing opinions on one supportive housing facility to be built at 1200 East Keith Road like and to, to at least finally approve it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's, it's it, those shirts that say, sorry, I was late, I didn't want to come. I kind of feel like that's the vibe for uh, a lot of building of supportive housing cities being very reluctant to build something that is obviously so necessary but you know mike little who we have our differences of opinion on with obviously said uh, or said that there's no doubt that this project is needed we don't have enough of either of these types of housing services referring to both uh supportive housing and and the, the sort of affordable project that was being considered and the supportive housing and complex care in this facility, it's uh, something we can't always rely on Vancouver to provide in the downtown east side. It's something that's important for the whole region to come along and say, we've got a hand in this, which is incredible uh, because it's not just a downtown east side problem. There are uh, unhoused people everywhere. Yeah. And uh, people have communities and people, like, if, if people lose their housing they don't want to be driven to like a place where basically the the society tells you you've been forgotten they want to try and stay as closest to the people they know as possible yeah i don't want to dunk at all on north vancouver council here district council here because they did unanimously support this and i think this is one of those situations where the system was broken right it's not their fault this went so long this is the standard public hearing that it had to happen under the current existing frameworks that are permitted set by the province and 120 people ex signed up to express views so they got their right to express their views and most of them were against this for all the standard reasons you can imagine but this council unanimously ig not ignored them but heard them and then went we're still going heard, ahead with this project considered decided to do it anyway and that's brave honestly to yeah. have 120 people yell at you. We remember talking about Port Coquitlam Council that heard nine people complain about a daycare and then got cold feet over a daycare and then heard many more people go, that's absurd, and then they reversed course. But like, here's making the right decision the first time despite the people who were able to show up and complain because ultimately that is never a representative sample. 
And sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions in government. Yeah, and, and they should be lauded for doing so. We end every episode of the Cambio Report with a Vancouver Ada, a little piece of Vancouver's history. This week, it's, I was going to say relatively recent history, but it's, you know, as was previously mentioned, not anymore. Vancouver is Awesome is a lifestyle blog that was founded in 2008 by ex-skateboard magazine publisher Bob Kronbauer. Yeah, I think most people will have seen Vancouver is Awesome. It's become pretty prominent. And back in 2008, I'm trying to like remember, I hadn't moved to Vancouver yet, but it was the time of these startup blogs. Like it was a blogging era and these online news, like this thing that's straddled the realm between news and lifestyle were starting to come up. And I think I remember seeing some things where Bob talked about why he started Vancouver is awesome. And it was, you know, no, the noblest intentions, right? And I don't think it's been an awful contribution. I think it's generally been positive, even if there's many criticisms you could lay against it. But I think the focus he wanted to have was something to talk up the city of Vancouver, because there's a lot you can rag on the city, like the no fun city, the drizzly winter weather, although we've had a like remarkable week of sunshine the past week. Uh, and some mm -hmm. warm weather, which is another thing where I'm like conscious of the climate change realities. That means that like Alberta's already looking at droughts this year, and I, know, I look I spent, at the sun spent, and go, "This isn't right." I spent New Year's in Bellingham, just like walking around in 17 degree weather in a t-shirt, and I'm like, uh, "This is awesome for the night," but uh. and so I think he has contributed to trying to bring forward positive stories and you know you can talk about the journalism and whatnot and critiques but overall it did become quite the establishment in the city of vancouver and has brought forward some good stories and bob was a major part of that so successful in fact that in 2017 glacier media bought out vancouver's awesome it kept him on as editor-in-chief but now he has decided to quit his job. He's announced on social media. He started his own Patreon for BC Bob. I'll shout that out. He's wanting to make independent content. I've noticed his TikTok has been quite fun recently. He's trying to do like little vignettes of BC history. So if you like the Vancouver Auto segment, Bob Crombauer is doing that for like all kinds of stories he finds interesting. And, you know, I'm shameless. I've shamelessly stolen some from him. I think I try to give him credit where I do. But it's a really interesting story and like a positive one, I think, for the most part. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear miserable stories about what's happening in BC, uh, tune in next week. Here at the Camby Report for Legged Boot Media, I am Matthew Naylor. I'm Ian Bushfield. Good day. <laughs> <laughs>